Thank you for that. If you would stand with me, please. We are grateful, Lord, to be here. We thank you for the people. We thank you for your love and your grace. We don't take for granted people coming to church. But we want to say thank you. We pray today that a word will be spoken to the hearts of people, that they will understand and know that your word is eternal. It is everlasting. We are called to live by the word of God. We have been called to obey you. For those that love you, show it by living according to the word. Today we pray that we will not be like the world, fighting as the world fights. For our weapons are not carnal. Lord, we understand and know that we are in a spiritual warfare. We don't fight, Lord, things that we see, but we understand there is an enemy that is worn against the saints. But, oh, my God, he has been evicted. And we thank you for the power of the Almighty. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Now, we pray today, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those who were here last week or those who were not, I'm going to go back and read, even though Sister Michelle, I didn't put this on the board, and that's okay. She has 1627. I'm going to read verses 24 for the context, the few verses right before, and then read our passage for today, verses 27 and 28. Matthew chapter 16 Verses 27 through 28 will be our focus, but I will read verses 24, begin at 24, which I read last week. And this is what it says at 24, Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Verse 27 and 28. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Turn over in your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. The first book of the Bible, Genesis 2, verses 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. 
And there was no man to work the ground. And the mist was coming up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out, excuse me, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature or a living soul. Thank you, Sister Michelle. The title, again, for those who may have forgotten and those who have not heard, the title is, If You Are Going to Follow Jesus, You've Got a Cross to Bear. If you are going to follow Jesus, you've got a cross to bear, part two. Today as we pick up with part two of the sermon, and let me just say this, Tom, it's good to see you. We met when we were uh, had the church there in Petaluma. We still have the Bible study there, but I want to thank you for being here, Tom. Today as we pick up with part two of the sermon, I think it is important to always remember that it was never God's plan to have his most prized creation to be separated from him. If you are going to make a difference in this world for the kingdom of God, it is going to require you to bear your cross. You are not going to get through this life serving God without bearing a cross. Last week, as we ended point number two, which was get it right or you will have hell to pay. One of the last points we made last week was Gain of what the world has to the exclusion of going after Christ will result in loss here and, yes, hell to pay throughout all eternity. What would it really profit a man if he was to gain the entire world? And we looked at, as a point as well, Bill Gates, as rich as he is, only owns a portion of the earth. A portion of things. But what if a person was able to gain and to, to, to gain unto themselves the whole earth? What would it profit a man to gain the world and yet lose his very soul? That's the question the Lord asked. Today as we move on, point number three, the ultimate payday. The ultimate payday. Primarily taking that from Matthew 16, 27, looking back at Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 gives the account of God resting after the world was created. And he gives the details of the creation of man. There is like in chapters, chapter 1... The overview of God's creation. And then you get to chapter 2. You will find that the Lord rested. After six days of creation, he rested on the seventh day. Sabbath means rest. In Genesis 2-7, record God forming man from the dust of the ground. I believe that it is important to keep in mind that God does not have to do anything that he does not want to do. He was self-sufficient from the very beginning. 
He did not need you to make him complete. As important as you think you are. He was doing just fine before you got here. But he planned you here. He planned you into the picture of things. God God does not have to answer to anybody. But I am sure that man does not believe it. Man is always questioning God. Always saying, why God this? Why God that? As if God owes you an explanation. It was God who formed man. Why man keeps getting it wrong, I don't know. Man thinks they formed themselves and formed God. And talk to God as if he's not the great and sovereign king that he is. Many people have concluded that what they think about life and about God has no repercussions. It does. We clearly note in Genesis that God is the agent who is operating without any input from people. He's the agent behind the scenes doing all of the creation, creating. He's doing all the work. And if we don't get that part right, your worldview will be wrong. It will be tainted. If you start from the wrong premise, you'll come to the wrong conclusion. The emphasis in Genesis 2 centers on the activity of God. From the completion of creation to God resting and the details of God forming man. Verse 7 is emphatic in stating, then the Lord God formed. Pause there. When you look at God's creation, you find that the Lord is, is the one where the focus is placed. He's the one doing all of the creating. He speaks and things leap into existence. When was the last time you spoke and something left into existence? Your kids don't even leap when you speak oftentimes. Did you hear me? I'm not going to tell you no more. But when God spoke, this world leapt into existence. And so many today have the nerve to try to say that it took several and several chances and billions of years to get it right. Get this. You never have a loss of information in a higher created order. You don't lose information and get more details. That's what the scientists say. There's a loss of information. How many of you recognize that if your genes and the chromosomes in which you're born, if something is wrong, you're going to have a problem? If you have a duplication on certain genes, and if you have a duplication, you're going to have a problem. You want it to be right. You don't lose information and get more details. Somehow this world, in order to try to plan God out, have basically lost their minds in coming up with cockamamie cuckoo ideas. 
about how this world began and how man came to be on this world, in this world. It was God who formed man from the dust. It's his dust that he put here and he formed man from the dust. And it wasn't until God breathed into the nostrils of man that he became a living being. Until God breathed into the nostrils of man, he laid there as a lump of clay. Dead. Not moving. It was the Lord who gave man the life. He formed man. But until God breathed into the nostrils, his breath, there was no life. Today people give homage to the trees, the forests. They walk through mirror woods looking at the big redwood trees and say, oh, wonderful trees, how great you are. Help me today. (laughs) Behind those trees is a creator who spoke those trees into existence. He's the only one that has creative power. So foolish to think that you can speak to something. That it somehow is going to come to your call, your beck, and it's going to come to you. Nonsense. No other part of God's creation do we read that God breathed into its nostrils or into it life. It is only man that God put his spirit. He breathed into man the breath of life. Because God breathed into his, into man the breath of life. Because he did this. And then back in Genesis 1.26 it says because we are made in the image of God. There's a part of you that will never die. Inside that clay that he made is your spirit. Without God's his, his spirit in you. Without God's spirit in you. You're not living. Some of the people think they're having a good time and living. They're merely existing. People that you see walking around, doing they're existing. They're not living. They think they're living. They say, man, I'm going to go live it up. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't live anything up without the Spirit of God in you. When God created us in his image... He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Genesis 1, 26. And God gave dominion over to men over all of creation. And then when you get to chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, verse 7, it's God who gives the details of breathing into man the, that, that clay, his image himself, and that self will never die. When death comes, it simply separates the spirit in you that God puts there, and he takes it out. Your body still stays right there. You are still conscious after death. And for those that don't know the Lord, Jesus says he's going to come back. That we read in Matthew. 
I'm just trying to trying to lay its foundation here for you. Because when you think about it, you got to go back to the beginning, to where to where we started, to where Jesus is talking about coming back. There's a whole lot of stuff that happened in between, but it was in the garden where the Lord started with man. Or I mean even before that in heaven, but I say when we think of the formation of man and then breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, that started back in Genesis. God has placed eternity in us. The only reason and the only way that you are eternal is because of what God put there. You're not from eternity to eternity. Only God is. You had a starting point. He does not have a starting point. You have a starting point. But when his spirit was placed in you, you became an eternal being. You will never die. Your body will get older. Your body will eventually die if the Lord tarries. But the spirit of the Lord, his breath of life will never depart, will never, will never die. All it does, he calls it out of the clay that he formed that didn't have life at the beginning, and he calls that life back to himself or for it to go and wait for the final judgment. For people to play Russian roulette with their life, it is not a good thing. You don't have life in and of yourself. Your life involved an agent outside of you, which is God, who gave you life. We need to really understand this. In Matthew, the Lord says that he is coming back. Now, when we looked at the cross that one has to bear, we looked at last week one had to deny themselves, and, and we looked at one having to come after and follow Christ. But as the Lord went on, in verse number 27, he gives some details that's quite interesting. In 16:27, it says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Your body houses the real you. I know we pamper the flesh, get up, wash the face in the morning, comb the hair, brush the hair, pat the head when no hair might be, put food in the body, do all these wonderful things to get it ready to face the world, but we don't do anything with the spirit that's going to face God. And today, people are playing with eternity because they're not preparing to meet the King of Glory, where Christ says he's coming back with his angels. Told you at death, there is simply a separation that occurs. Stop thinking that you go into oblivion. Stop thinking that, that, oh, if I can just die, don't you die without knowing the Lord. You be going, ah, Lord, I want to go back, I want to go back to get it right. Because once you leave here, there's no getting it right. 
To be absent for the Christian from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Let me read this passage to you regarding scriptures dealing with being separated. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Find Acts in the New Testament, just Romans, then you'll come to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Go right over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to listen to this. If you don't have a Bible, please listen. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Given given this just as a deposit for you. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. There is a payday coming. The ultimate payday. When the Son of Man, as the Lord calls himself, himself, comes with his angels, it will show that he is in control. It was the Lord from the very, very beginning who put life in man, and at the very end, he's going to call man to give an account for the life that he lived. It is Christ who's going to send his angels out to do the gathering. Now, you need to understand this. When you are saved, that's the aspect of being able to be with the Lord throughout all eternity. But then there comes the work that the Lord calls us, calls us to do while we're here, which we call, which are called by the Bible, rewards. We're going to be rewarded for what we do. You see, some of you want to make, some of you look for those bonuses sometimes at, at, at work. I, sometimes some of you who work at agencies and places where you get bonuses, and, and then you, you say, we're going to give you a Christmas bonus. Boy, you look forward to that. You were just like, oh, I can't wait. You, you want Christmas to hurry up and get here. 
Why? Because you're looking for that extra pay. You're looking to receive something that's been promised to you. The Lord says that when he comes, he's going to give to those who have borne their cross, who have followed him, who've denied themselves, who have the blood applied to their lives. He's going to give them their reward. The greatest reward that you could ever have is being with Jesus. That's the greatest, greatest reward you could ever have is being with him. But on the flip side, those that don't know him are also going to be paid. In this verse, it's the Lord who is, who is sending out his angel. He's coming in the glory of his father. All theories of bliss for everyone are shattered when God or Christ comes with his angels in the glory of his father to repay those who are born their cross. Everybody's talking about bliss and going to heaven. What in the world then are we doing here if everybody can do anything they want and then get on into the kingdom? That is not the case. We've got to go through. It is something that you could never pay yourself. When you look at the Genesis account, you, you, will, you will just marvel at, at, at how God moves. He knew Adam and Eve were going to blow it. He knew they were going to eat of the very thing that he told them not to eat. He placed them in a garden to tend it, to take care of it. And then he put his angel in the garden to guard the tree of life. We need to get this, people. 70, 80, 90, 100 years compared to eternity is a short time. People want to cheapen the blood and life of Christ. But the criteria of payment is all about him. Can never cheapen the blood of Christ. A glimpse beyond verse 28 of 16. Now, Look at verse 28, and this is a, a, a difficult and interesting verse, but let me just say, let me just read it. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And Jesus speaking to the disciples and the crowd addressed this passage by all appearances to those that were there. In other words, when he spoke this Word, it was to those who were there. Not only are his disciples there, there are other people there. And he said there would be some people that were there that would see him coming in his glory. Now, there are various interpretations and points of view regarding this. Two very common interpretations deal, um, deals with the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. When it talks about this verse, some believe that's the reference. Others believe that the reference actually is going to is dealing with what we're going to be dealing with the next time we come together, which is the transfiguration when the Lord went upon the mountain and was transfigured in the very next chapter 17. But another interpretation by Dr. R.C. Sproul and some others about the context in which this is written 
Uh, he believes that it's not only, it's not really dealing with judgment. You don't see judgment necessarily in here. So he's not necessarily saying that it's dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. Quote, for him, the entire process, he believes, by which Christ receives dominion, especially the resurrection, the ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is what he believes this verse has in view. Not only dealing with the transfiguration of the, of the cross, but the, but the idea of Christ's dominion culminating in his, in his death and resurrection, then his ascension to heaven and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And we clearly see that when Christ rose, the disciples were still alive. When he ascended, the disciples were still alive. When the Holy Spirit came 50 days later, the, Holy, the, the disciples were still alive. There were some, he said, would see him in his glory again. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the man, the son of man coming in his kingdom. When we consider that God was the one, as noted in Genesis, who is the agent and the one where the focus is, we see at the culmination of time that God is the one who brings everything to an end. Wouldn't it be great to really think about it in this way? Wouldn't it be wonderful to make sure that you're connected to the person, to the God, the king, who started everything and who's going to control everything at the end? When, when, when you would sometimes get scared, sometimes you would just want your parent or your guardian, whoever you might live with, you just want to be able to hear their voice or know that they were close by. It gave you comfort that, that when you had a bad dream that they were there. There was one eat one night that my sister, but she was, she said, I was awake. I wasn't asleep. She said that in her room in her bed, she, there was a little man. I think it was a leprechaun. Came up by her bed and she got back and said, Daddy, Mom, she started crying. Robin had already had a dream that night and was already gone to my parents' room. She wasn't in the room. She was in that room by herself. And to this day, Frida said, you can't convince me that wasn't real. Frida turned and said, oh, that was just a nightmare. That wasn't no nightmare, she said. I saw that man. <laughs> what does she want? If she could get to my parents, if she could have gotten there, it would have helped relieve some of that concern. You see, when we think about God, and, and when we get scared, when we, when we lose our way, we want to make sure that we have God that, that we can go to, that we can call upon, that comes to us, to our rescue. Isn't it wonderful to know that when you get lost, God knows exactly where you are. And there you are out in the middle of nowhere looking around and saying, now where am I? How, how can I get back? Got to be connected. So we see that there are some of those who saw Jesus, the Son of Man, able to come, come in his kingdom, in his power. When we look at this chapter next time, we're going to delve into the 
transfiguration. This may be next week, the week after, not quite sure. But, but when we think about the Lord, aren't you glad that he made a way for you and me? Aren't you glad that he, that he gave life and that he is life? Aren't you glad that he invited you to come to him? Why would anybody want to wait? Why would anybody want to take a chance on having the Spirit of God in you be removed and you are not ready to go into eternity not knowing Him? Don't you think that when you did, that's it? Don't go down that road, but make sure that you know Him. Hmm. A glimpse beyond. The, the disciples were able to see things after the resurrection of Christ. Things that they didn't see clearly before, they were able to see clearly later on. Even Peter in his book, he speaks about seeing the glory of God upon that mountain. He speaks about it. Glorious. And, and we'll look at that. But, but one of the things I'll say in closing, the Lord says, don't, don't say anything about what you saw until after I've risen. Some of y'all can't hold nothing. Tell y'all something and it is gone. I'm getting to the back bottom of the parking lot. Getting a call already? <laughs> can't even go out the parking lot. <laughs> Stand with me, please. Nobody in here can save. It is Christ's responsibility to save. Your responsibility is to preach, to teach. It is what the Bible says is to water the seed. There's a planting that has to take place, and there's a watering that's needed. But it is Christ that makes it grow. If people don't place and put themselves in a position to hear the word of God, it's going to be most difficult. You see, we're in a spiritual battle here. We're in a, we're in a situation where, where, where life is at stake. Life is the issue. And people say, I, I, don't, I don't want to go. Well, it's going to be the Holy Spirit that draws. My thing is this. You invite. They've got to make the decision. You never find Christ grabbing, any, grabbing anyone by the throat and saying, you are going to believe. Didn't do it. In fact, you will find him when rejected, getting into the boat and going back to the other side. This, it's an invitation. The Lord extends the invitation to us in the sense that he says, would you accept me as your Savior? Just take my life. You've got a cross to bear. Remember this, that cross means death. People are not dead to themselves. Their legs are still kicking. They still keep getting up. We're dead to our ways. Says, Lord, just use me for your glory. Lord, in this place, there are people that need to be saved. Everyone is not saved in this place. Today we are praying that there will be people here 
that will say, yes, it's time. With your, with your eyes closed, please. This is your time to reflect upon your own self. Is there anyone in this place that says, Lord, I have never accepted you. I want to accept you as my Savior. If you put your hand up and down. I'm not talking about those who are saved. I'm talking about those who are not saved. It says, I, I want to accept the Lord as my Savior. Anyone in this place that says, I don't know if, if I'm saved or not. I think I am, but I'm not sure. I want to be sure that I'm saved. Anybody needs to know that they are saved. Lord, today we pray that embarrassment will not keep people from saying yes to you. That when they leave this place, and if they were called to eternity... That they wouldn't have to say, oh, I wish I had at that time. But right where you are, you can say in your heart, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. I, I, I didn't want to go up there, Lord, because I was nervous. But would you forgive me of my sins? Then I'm going to call the pastor and ask him and let him know what I've done. To come and talk with me. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Would you come into my life to be my Lord and Savior? Would you apply the blood of Christ to my life so that I can be with you throughout all eternity? That's my prayer. We love you today, God, and in this place, as we leave, we pray that you will lead us and guide us. That you will take us into all truth, into eternity with you one day that you will help us to know that we belong to you we are yours you formed us you gave us life and how dare we take what you've given and mistreat it so today we pray that you will help us to understand and know in jesus name amen